Alrighty. Da do da do day. Da do da do day. Alrighty. Let's take a deep breath. Get ready to go. One, two, one, two. Testing, testing. Hmm. Eeny, meeny, chilly beanie. If you have a tiny weenie, you should not be a meanie. Even you can get laid. Eeny, meeny, chilly beanie. Who the hell cares about Ted Meany? I really don't know. But, hey, it's Wednesday, it might snow. Everybody and welcome to Richard's Radio Adventures. My name is Richard, KB5JBV. This time I think we're going to talk a little bit about DMR radios again. Holy cow. Holy cow. Uh, DMR, you can talk around the world using the internet. Yeah, I have a telephone that'll do that. Alright, so first off, let's discuss for a moment that incredible nightmarish appliance that is known as the Titera or TYT MD380UV yes sir the MD380UV now I understand I'm a little spoiled because when I got back on the air I went ahead and purchased when I decided I was going to get on DMR, I went ahead and purchased the best radio that I could find for the best money. Not the most expensive, not the cheapest, not the most feature-filled, not the least feature-filled. And I settled on the Anytone UV, uh, what is it, 878 which has turned out to be quite a uh, handy appliance. Well, long about the same time I figured out I needed a second radio uh, just so I could do testing and stuff like that. So I had the, have had the thing for some time, but the day it arrived, I took it out and I looked at it and I petted it and and the fact of the matter is it's a fairly well built material wise fairly well built radio uh, it looked a whole lot like some of the commercial radios I've used in the past uh, Motorola ISCOM that kind of stuff and you know I thought we were in really good shape and the price point wasn't too bad. However, I took it out. I looked at it. I petted it a bit. I talked to it sweetly. And then I got to work. So, I got on the internet and tried to find some information on it. And there wasn't a whole lot. Um, I failed to go get a code plug initially from one of the places here local. Um, it turns out that uh, here in the DFW area, the Richardson Wireless Club 
on their website has uh, code plugs for several different models. So if y'all want to go over there and check it out, I don't remember their URL offhand, but if you type in Richard Richardson Wireless Club with a K at uh, uh, Google, you ought to be able to find them pretty easy. They have code plugs for the Anytones, the TYTs, some of the others. So, failing to have done that, I tried to plod my way through the instruction manual, manual, which is another one of those that is written in Chinese and then translated to English. Now, it's bad enough on any tone that when you're in the uh, program software, that if you click on something, it'll give you a little blurb at the bottom about what that thing's about. However, uh, you can tell it's been translated. And sometimes it really doesn't have all the information you might need. Oh my God. The Titera or TYT is far worse. I was trying to plod my way through the owner's manual, and I mean, there is no doubt that this was not initially written in English. Or if it was written in English, it was written in English by somebody who was translating it or writing it for the first time that has a grasp of the English, English language comparable to some of these people that um, can't seem to find the T in the middle of a word. And I find that kind of important. So, I went out on the internet. What I found out on the internet was about 18 different pieces of software that are designed to program this particular radio. And we're back on the TYT radio. And there's one out there for uh, adding firmware that'll do this and that and the other. And uh, several different variants of that. And there's some out there for specifically for writing code plugs and that kind of stuff. And several of them, there is a Linux version, but you have to pretty much compile the thing from code because the instructions that they give you to get it going are really not that great. So, armed with as little knowledge as possible, I sat down with this radio. Now, the first thing I wanted to do was upgrade the firmware. Um, with my Anytone, uh, it's pretty easy. You go out and you find the next version up. When you upgrade the firmware, you get an upgrade of the, uh, program software. Uh, they're kind of a match set. So I go to try and program this thing and I figure I need to update the firmware. So I go over to the Titera site, the TYT site. You can find it at tyt888.com. Um, <laughs> however, there is no organization in the software section on the TYT website. So as you scroll up through there, you see MD380, then you see another model and a different model and another one. And then you'll find two MD380s right together, one with GPS, one without GPS. And it is just a total, total mess. Now, let me stop a minute. I understand that the TYT radios are one of the most popular radios for DMR. Well, it's got to be all about price point. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Anyway, so I'm plodding through this thing and trying to check it out. Now, 
uh, I sat down with my radio, I said. Let me back up a little. Uh, I sat down with the radio, and I decided it needed an upgrade. I found one of these programs that offered to do that and add some features and stuff like that to the radio. So I went ahead and used one of those programs. Uh, I can't remember which one it is. I believe it was... Oh, doggone it. It's the one that says it'll load um, user IDs and stuff like that and give you promiscuous mode and that kind of stuff for your radio. Um, there's several versions out there. I can't remember what it is right offhand. Uh, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about when you find it and you read the information on it. So I sat down and now I've, I've had this radio out of the box about a half hour and I sit down, I, I finally fight with the programming cable until I get the radio to recognize or the, uh, uh, program software to recognize that the radio is there once again not like the antitone because uh, there's a button up at the top of the screen on the antitone where you click it you look for the USB port and if you um, are not sure what number USB it is you unplug the thing number goes away you plug it back in number comes back that's the right one it's uh I sure do miss D-Rat, or uh, not D-Rats. I sure do miss uh, when Chirp was like that. Now that Jan now that Dan has left the project, I can, uh, I really don't know where that one's going to go. But we'll talk about that one, that later. So, I finally get this thing to recognize the radio. I fire up the software. I click the button to run the, to run the firmware update. You know, I take my radio and on the TYT, uh, there's some debate as to whether you hold down the P1 or the top button above the push to talk switch by itself, or you push the button above the top push to talk switch and the push to talk switch at the same time and turn the radio on. To put it in firmware update mode. So I went ahead and did that. And when you do that. You get the uh, LED on top of the radio. Which uh, normally indicates busy channel. And that kind of stuff. Uh, it starts to flash. Green and red. Sorry I was getting a little dry. Um. And you, once you do that, you've got this radio sitting there with a blank screen and the light is flashing green and red. And I'm like, okay, I did it the way I was supposed to. So I did the firmware update with this piece of software that I found out on the internet. It's pretty popular, K4AZ, something like that. And when it was finishing updating, I turned the radio off. I turned the radio back on. Red and green light is flashing. There's nothing on the screen. Within an hour, I have turned this radio into a paperweight. Or as a lot of guys out there say, uh, I, have done I have done brick the equipment. So, I fought with this thing. I went and tried to find the software and all this other stuff. I could load firmware. I could read what was in the radio. However, I couldn't get the radio to come on. Some people suggested take the battery off, let it set a while. That didn't help. So, I took the battery off. And I put it in a tote, which I've got a tote for radios, radio equipment underneath my bed. Put it in the tote, slid it under the bed, left it alone. Well, 
it's been a month or two. And I decided I was going to get this thing running. So I went out on the internet. And I read the news groups. And I looked at videos. And I read information on, uh, on websites and all this other stuff. And finally, I decided, well, I formulated a plan. So I went over the Titerra website and I went back to the oldest version of software that they had on the, uh, on that page and downloaded it. Now, as I said, I could read the radio. I could turn it on. I could read, you know, uh, what I knew what the CPS version was, the program software for those of y'all that are new to radio. I knew what that version was. I knew I was looking for a firmware version close to that within a couple of uh, numbers, you know. Uh, the CPS was 1.07, so I was looking for anything from 1.06 to 1.010. And I finally found the one I was looking for. Now, I tried to flash that firmware, and it didn't work. So, being a trooper, I went back out on the internet. And I read some more news groups and some Facebook uh, groups and that kind of stuff. And one of the things that people kept saying was just because the light on top is flashing green and red does not mean that you have it in firmware update mode or firmware programming mode. And that, uh, that took a little while to sink in. So, I decided what I was going to do is take this, I had the firmware, I had the radio, the, the brick, pretty cheap brick, but a brick, and I said, you know, it's kind of one of the, you know, we did a, did a Richard Radio Adventures not too long ago about, uh, uh, one stupid mistake. One little stupid mistake. Well, it holds true. Because what I did was turn the radio, I couldn't program it. I couldn't, I, well, I may have been able to put the firmware on there, but it wasn't doing me any good. I could read the radio, I could see the model number, the serial number, all this good stuff, but I couldn't wake the radio up. So, I turned the radio off. I used the procedure to put it in firmware uh, update mode. And I flashed the old firmware. To my surprise, after the flash, I turned the radio off. I turned the radio back on. Oh my God, it's alive. It is fantastic. It's working. So now it's working and I go ahead and get the battery charged up and stuff like that and dig, you know, Get the, get the programming cable at home on my desk so that I can find it. All that good stuff. And I decide, okay, it's time to start programming this thing. Well, once again, back to the Anytone. And the Anytone was about twice the price of this TYT. Now, let me back up a second. This TYT is a VHF UHF radio. It will do analog DMR. And you can kind of program it out of normal ham bands if you want to. I would not suggest it. If anybody from the FCC is listening, I would not suggest 
programming this radio out of the amateur radio bands. Now, having said that, um, I'm looking forward now that it's working to get it on the same frequencies of my radios at work so I don't have to depend on their crappy Motorola's that they can't keep batteries and antennas on. So, where was I? Oh, I remember. So, on the Anytone, you go in there and you build your scan, you build your, uh, contact lists, you uh, import the user lists from Radio ID or someplace else, and, oh, good lord, got a little wheeze in there. Y'all excuse me a minute. Okay. Uh, those of you who are long-time listeners, y'all know I suffer from barnacles. Uh, anyway, so... Where was I? So, I go ahead and I, I get ready to program this thing. With the Anytone, like I said, you build your, you get all your contact lists in there. Uh, user lists, and you build contacts for uh, different talk groups and that kind of stuff. And then you go in, you build your channels. Uh, put in the frequency and the time slot and all that good stuff. And then you go back and you take all of this and you wrap it up in a nice little, um, no, doggone, zone. In a zone. So now you've got the stuff organized, you've got the stuff ready. And in my case, I'm using hotspots because uh, we've talked about the radio wasteland. Um, Terrell, Texas, the repeater-free zone, uh, 20 miles from everywhere, and that kind of stuff. So I'm using hotspots. So I go in there, and I start programming. Well, I swear to God, <laughs> this programming software is straight out of the 1990s. Because I don't remember, I remember programming uh, my Vertex VX150, which I purchased for $100 back in the late 90s with software that was, that looked as good and worked as well as the programming software for the MD UV380. I mean, it's crap. <laughs> That's why I've been a big fan of uh, Chirp for so long, because Dan really had it going on over there. And I'm really sorry that he's left the project. So I get to looking over on one of my Linux machines. Uh, I'm currently running a... Uh, uh, Microsoft machine on my desktop until I don't know 10 or 15 minutes from now when it turns into a piece of crap and but I still have two Linux laptops and then a um, a Windows machine that's got Windows laptop it's got 10 on it I think that the only re only thing I really use ever used it for was downloading audiobooks from Audible. And I get to looking around for Linux software to make this work. Now, Chirp, I haven't even looked to see if Chirp has this particular radio in it. If it does, I may very well start using it. But Chirp uh, does have a Linux version that is installable. It, you don't have to screw with it. And y'all don't get me wrong, I've spent plenty of years on Linux and I can put software on if I want to spend the time to do the work. Uh, because if it's something that's not, doesn't have some type of install script. If it does have an install script, even better. You know, um, I've got one over there right now. I'm running a copy of Star Trek Armada 2 that came out back in the, oh crap. 
I guess Windows 95 was still in fashion at the time, or possibly now it was Windows XP. Sorry, I had to get another sip. So, I start programming this thing. And I'm having to put in these uh, groups one at a time. Okay, no biggie. And then I'm having to go in and program each channel one at a time. And it's I went and looked around to see if I could import some of this stuff. Or export it to a spreadsheet, work on it, and then import it back in. And what I ended up with was I took a code plug. I was talking about Richardson Wireless Club earlier. I got a code plug, downloaded it. It had a few things in there. I exported it to CV, uh, CSV file, um, added some talk groups and channels, and then uploaded it back to the software, and it would not work right. Now, here in Texas, we've got, uh, got a group of some of us guys use regularly, uh, 3148, uh, Texas statewide. When I re-uploaded the uh, CSV files, when I would key up the radio for Texas statewide, I was getting 3146. 3156, excuse me. So we had this problem. Now, the sad part is so many people are lulled into using Microsoft computers because... They're so wonderful, and it, they're only so wonderful because there's a lot of software out there written specifically for them that you have to pay money for. And I don't play that. I use a program called LibreOffice, which will do just about everything that Excel will, and it's free of charge and free as in open source. And we'll talk about open source on another episode. So, now I'm down to having to go in, program these things, in, program up every channel, every talk group, everything, sit here and look at a list, program it in, and where I'm running, why, yeah, oh crap, I'm running DMR to YSF on uh, my duplex or semi-duplex hotspot and I want to put those Yezu talk groups on that hotspot or be able to access them through that hotspot and I am really having trouble making that happen and I'm not sure what the cock up is and it'll probably be the subject of another Richard's Radio Adventures. But at the present time, I can't put one radio on uh, America Link on Brandmeister and put the other radio on America Link on YSF or FCS, whichever one is on. I don't remember right offhand. And be able to hear myself talk on it. Now in the case of. Same network. I can make that happen. Because uh, earlier. I was testing both radios on Texas Statewide. On Brandmeister. And it worked like it was supposed to. So. Guys. I know when y'all are going out there and trying to get into DMR, you want to try and get in with the least amount of cash out of pocket. Thank God most of y'all are not buying the low-end Bofang radios. I don't think I've run across anybody yet that's running a Bofang. But... There are so many radios out there that are made by Bofang, including 
Uh, I'm not going to say including because I don't have definitive tr uh, proof, but I'm pretty sure that Titera is also made by the same company that makes Bofang radios. It's either them or Retrievus. But at least you guys aren't running out there and buying these $50, $60 radios. Now, admittedly, the TYT is not a whole lot more than that. But it turns out that the MD380, and not necessarily the UV, but the VHF only and the UHF only MD380s are some of the biggest sellers in the DMR line right now. <coughs> Barnacles. So... Nobody can fault you if you go out and buy one. However, if you want radios that are going to last over the long haul, I was talking about my VX150 earlier. Uh, Vertex, which is the uh, brand name that was on that radio, is, I believe it's Yezu's commercial line. And they were producing some inexpensive radios under the Vertex brand. And quite honestly, it's one of the best radios I ever had. But it was built by one of the companies that has a track record. Now, Anytone, I'm not sure who their parent company is. It might very well be Motorola. Uh, over on uh, Brandmeister Self-Care, they tell you if you're running an Anytone radio to list it as Motorola uh, when you're setting up your hotspots and stuff. So I have my suspicions that Motorola has their fingers in there somewhere. So, now you've heard about my nightmare with the MD380. I'm going to continue to work with it and see what I can make happen with it. And quite honestly, it was mostly um, back when I decided to get it. It was mostly um, a matter of needing a radio that I can take with me. That I'm not too worried about getting damaged or not as worried about getting damaged as my Anytone. Let me tell you, if you got the money, buy the Anytone. Go out and buy the Anytone. If you, I'm, I'm telling you, even though uh, there are issues with some of the information on it and stuff, but uh, it's at this point I'm seeing it's a better radio, and it doesn't matter because you can find instructional videos on both radios over at YouTube. You can find information out on the web. All that good stuff. Now, we're planning on... Uh, we're finished talking. We're shifting gears now. Segways are kind of rough around here on radio, Richard's Radio Adventures. Um, we're working on a hotspot series, video-wise. And uh, I need to get back on it because we need to get to the next step before I get too far into modifying uh, some of these hot spots around here. Um, we did, uh, recently did, well, we did firmware upgrade on the uh, uh, MMDVM hat Pi, Pi Zero hotspots. Uh, I've also done it to the... Uh, duplex hotspot in fact uh, the duplex hotspot did helped us with another video where we upgraded the operating system uh, everybody out there within the sound of my voice if you are running 3.1 pi star upgrade that hotspot because there's things that you can do that you're not going to be able to like uh, communicating with XLX reflectors, and we talked about that in a previous episode. Um, adding DMR networks uh, is difficult on 3.1. Uh, 
TGIF, I decided to put it on one of the hot spots. And whereas I had pure hard fits trying to get it onto the 3.1 version of Pi-Star, I had no issues once I upgraded. So y'all look into that and we will be trying to get another video out pretty soon. So before we uh, move on or get out or something, get up, get out, get away, whatever, um, I want to talk about something that happened to me this week. Other than the other, the stuff I just got finished talking about. I went out to the mailbox a few days ago. And I'm digging through the mail as I'm walking back. And lo and behold, there's an envelope with the return address had a name and a call sign. And I'm thinking to myself, why and now why do I have an envelope with a name and a call sign on it? Now, don't get me wrong. Over the years people have sent me stuff. They've sent me letters. They've sent me cash to help promote the uh or to throw in to make the uh, podcast better, um, that kind of stuff. And I never really expected what was in this envelope. And it was a QSL card. <laughs> of all things, it was a QSL card. Now, y'all need to understand, I haven't been on HF radio in probably, well, eight or nine years. So the last thing I was expecting was a QSL card. So I get back here and I open up the envelope and I look inside and sure enough, that's what it is. And it's from a young man that I talked to on DMR uh, that lives up in the state of Washington. I'm not going to give his name and uh, call sign. But this guy, um, the more I think about it, the more I seem to remember talking to him. You know, if I don't talk to somebody two or three times on the radio, I tend not to remember their call signs unless the conversation had something uh, really uh, something I needed to think about in it. Why are we sending DMR or uh, QSL cards for DMR? Because somebody explained that to me. And if y'all look at the post on the website, you can find all my contact information. The only thing I don't give y'all is my personal phone number. Please explain to me why we're doing this. Now, here, here's, here's where I'm coming from on this. There is very little QSL card activity above 50 megahertz. Okay? Six meter band and up. Very little. If you work a satellite contact or if you work a CW contact or a sideband contact you know contacts that don't require a repeater okay satellites are technically repeaters but that's a little bit different case if you work digital simplex 50 meter 50 I mean 50 megahertz or up and it's always been that way. It's been that way as long as I've been licensed. You know, if you made a contact through a six meter repeater here in DFW, you didn't log that and send out QSL cards. <clears throat> but if you made a contact direct, 100 miles, 200 miles, 300 miles away, 
shoot, yeah, QSL card. The RRL, their award program, is basically you can't make contacts through a repeater uh, using the old packet mailboxes. No. Via Winlink? No. Well, except on HF, maybe. But the bottom line is the QSL cards, and they go... Let me back up and say that uh, initially QSL cards were to help stations that were experimenting in the early days of radio, not at just amateur radio, but in the early days of radio, to not only confirm contacts, but to transfer information between stations so that they know knew what kind of signal they were getting to the other end of the circuit. In the modern day, or at least by the time I got off the radio a few years back, in the modern day, they were used to confirm contacts between stations that were not using any electronics means to boost the signal along the way. A good example is, I've spoken it before about uh, the FM repeaters and the fact we had one here in Dallas. And whereas you would send QSL cards for uh, CW contacts on 10 meters, you would send QSL cards for uh, sideband contacts or even AM contacts on 10 meters. Uh, you would send QSL cards for RIDI, Amtor, Pactor, um, whatever digital mode on 10 meters. As long as you didn't use a piece of equipment to amplify that or change that signal along the way, you would send QSL cards because it was possible for you to apply for awards. It showed that you had the skills to make this happen. I've got file boxes. They're probably two, three feet long. And I have four or five of those that are absolutely packed full of QSL cards. And not one of those is through a repeater. I do have a couple of QSL cards for FM 2 meter operation. Because they were radio to radio over pretty big distances without the use of a repeater or anything like that. So let's swing it back towards DMR. Now, if I pick up my DMR handheld and I key that radio up, it's going to be received by a hotspot that is no more than about 15 feet away. It's going to be transferred via Wi-Fi to my router which is about 10 feet away. Then it's going to go into the internet, and it doesn't matter who I talk to, whether they're in Dallas, Texas, which is 30 miles away, or they're in Dublin, Ireland, or they're in Turkey, or any of the other countries on the face of the planet. They're going to go into the hotspot, they're going to go into the router, they're going to go into the internet, and they're going to come out the same way on the other end. It doesn't matter if it's a hotspot or a repeater. So the QSL card you should be getting is from the repeater or the hotspot because that's your contact. Now, having said all of that, A lot of these guys are young. They're pretty new radio operators. You know, they haven't been doing it very long. They probably don't have good Elmers around them. Uh, 
to kind of say, hey, uh, you know, you probably need to reconsider that. Now, don't get me wrong. I know there's new enthusiastic radio operators that want to confirm their contacts. They want to have something to be able to show people or talk about to people showing that they got on the air, they did the due diligence, they, they put together the equipment and the skill to talk to these other stations. I'm going to send this guy a QSL card. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have any fresh ones, so he's going to have to get one I had printed probably 10 or 11 years ago. If that's okay, I'm going to throw in a, a card for the podcast as well. And then he'll be able to talk at his club meetings about how he talked to this guy in Texas. And he may even find himself enthusiastic enough to talk about the guy that used to run Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast. I know this one ain't a big deal. Or, uh, it's a big deal to me, but it's probably not to y'all. But the young man's new and he's got enthusiasm, so I'm going to send him a card back. But there's better ways if for the new guys... And you older guys out there that the new guys listen to, you might want to convey this. There's easier ways to confirm contacts, especially when it's not. Well, let's put it this way. I have a card for Sao May, which is an island off the coast, uh, southern coast of Africa. I have cards from Italy, the former USSR. Uh, what is it? Latvia, I've got one. Uh, right offhand, I can't remember what all I do have. Um, Italy, Spain, England. You know, even the other direction. Uh, Pacific Islands, a lot of Pacific Islands. And when 10 meters is up, we are absolutely eat up with Australia around here. But the other side of it is also, I have cards from places that are hard to get here. Uh, Wyoming, Montana, Rhode Island. Very difficult to make contacts in those places from here. Um, even on, I think most of those were on the 40 meter band. And even on 40 meters, it's difficult. That takes us back to that 100 watts in a wire thing I was talking about in the previous episode. So, you know, y'all try and steer these guys away. Unless they just absolutely want... Let's put it this way. If I talk to Joe Walsh on DMR, I'm going to send him a card because I want one of them cards. Sadly, Walter Cronkite's gone, so... I can't send him a card. Uh, if I talk to Bob Heil on DMR, I'm going to send him a card. You know, we got our heroes, and it doesn't hurt. Quite honestly, I asked John Popper when I saw him, uh, I guess it was about a year ago. He came through down at the House of Blues, and... Uh, you know, he and his manager and his manager and I had had a discussion about uh, him being in the building, that kind of stuff. And I told the manager that he was my number two favorite harmonica player. And he asked me who, who my favorite was. And I said, well, uh, Charlie Musselwhite, who else? And when the show was over, they came up to came up to the room. And he says, well, you still think he's number two? I said, well... Yeah, and he says, well, you wouldn't object to having your picture took with him, would you? Well, hell no. So, uh, yeah, go look on the website. You'll see see a picture of not only me and John Popper and his manager, but you'll see another one of me photobombing one of the uh, one of the bartenders. 
Yeah, it's good for a laugh. <laughs> but that's the whole point. If these guys want to prove what's going on, let them send them cards. But as far as sending a card for every contact and logging a call for every contact, you might want to tell these guys that they really don't have to do that. Because unless they're doing it just so they have something to remember it by, it's good. If they think it's going to further them as far as awards and stuff like that, it's probably not. I don't know. I found out the other day that uh, there's contests going on, put on by other podcasters of all things. Uh, something about 100 watts in a wire doing, doing something. Anyway, I've talked just about as long as I can talk this time around. Um, quite honestly, for the money, I believe the Anytone's your best bet. If you're strapped for cash and you just need to get on the air. I mean, my plans with this uh, uh, TYT, now that I've unbricked it, and uh, I have lost many an hour of sleep over that. Uh, over the last few months. Now that I've unbricked it, my plan is to make it uh, the one that I take mobile on my hotspot that only has Brandmeister on it. And I'm not afraid of messing it up because it wasn't that expensive or was relatively inexpensive compared to the other one. So, y'all take some of this stuff and stick it in your hat and think about it and roll it around. And I really think I've run out of steam for this particular episode. Now, if y'all want to contact me, my email address is my call sign at gmail.com. Kilo Bravo 5, Juliet Bravo Victor at gmail.com. We have a website out there on the web, uh, rfpodcast.info, rfpodcast.info. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast. We have a Facebook group, uh, Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast. We are also a contributing member over at DFW Elmer's, or Elmer's DFW, one way or the other. Uh, over on Facebook. Uh, there is a Twitter feed that I really don't uh, check as much as I should. Um, there's all these ways to contact me. There's even a YouTube channel which has an unfortunate name at this point and we're trying to get that changed. But for right now, it's Richard Bailey, KB5JBV at YouTube. And we're going to be trying to get some more videos out as soon as we get an opportunity. I want to remind y'all also to go over and visit Linux in the Ham Shack. Linux in the Ham Shack I talk about a lot because I helped found the show. Uh, and, and when I left at episode 100, my co-host picked up the ball and ran with it. Uh, they put out... Uh, they put out at least one episode a week uh, they call the Weekender. And uh, then I'm not sure what the release schedule is for their regular shows. But it's worth going over and checking it out. Um, ease on over to uh, LH Podcast or LHSPodcast.com. And they're not just uh, Linux, 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 Linux over there. They, uh, they've had... Uh, had the gentleman for Star over there three different times. Uh, Russ is in the process of setting up XLX reflectors, so he's been talking about those. Uh, he gets a big giggle because I'm using pie, uh, Raspberry Pis over here now because when, when they first came along, it's like I dismissed them. Um, it's really enjoyable, and you can learn a lot over there. Uh, those guys are really on top of it. They're both pretty smart guys. There's uh, Russ, K5TUX, and uh, the other guy. Bill, K4, uh, K4 
what is it? NE4RD. Bill. Yeah. Bill. Um, plus, uh, Cheryl shows up every once in a while and her voice is quite soothing. So, if you've had a bad day, at the very least, listening to Cheryl talk would probably help. And I drug that out a little bit longer. And I keep telling y'all I'm going to make these episodes shorter. I thought sitting here this time of night and with clocks all around me and everything else that uh, I would be able to do that. However, I have failed. So, y'all send me some information. Send me some emails. I, I like to hear from people. I don't care if you're griping about the show, telling me how good you like the show, not talking about the show at all, asking questions, all this other stuff. Just, uh, I'm lonely. So send me something. Come visit me at the web uh, at the website or come visit me at the news group. I'm so lonely. Anyway, with that... I think I've been as silly as possible, and I will leave you with a small, short poem. Chilly Willy the Hillbilly. Yes, you might think it's silly. However, he plays with his willy, but he doesn't actually play with his winners. In the fall, he has it all. He has a ball. He takes to the mall. However, my poetry doesn't help at all. Let that sink in. We'll see y'all next time. This is KB5JBV. I'm out. We gotta go.